This podcast may contain content that may be alarming or triggering to some listeners, including suicide, violence, trafficking, adolescent pregnancy, and homelessness. Please check the show's notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Welcome to Red Bean Baby, where the only thing more New Orleans than red beans and rice on a Monday is Red Bean Baby, the podcast that discusses parenting at Covenant House. Red Bean Baby is your opportunity to hear conversation amongst those with lived experiences and subject matter experts on a variety of social justice and public policy issues. Covenant House New Orleans is dedicated to serving all youth with unconditional love and absolute respect, helping youth experiencing homelessness and protecting and safeguarding all youth in need. I'm your host, Joya, a former resident and parent of Maternal Pathways at Covenant House New Orleans, bringing you all the guests and topics surrounding youth, life without housing, first-time parents, and so much more. So grab your cafe au lait and settle in for another episode of Red Bean Baby. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Red Bean Baby Podcast. I'm your host, Joya, and I am here with Hosanna, who is a social worker at Covenant House. How are you today? I'm doing well today. It's hot outside, but I'm doing well today. (laughs) It is hot. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what you do at Covenant House in your work? Yes. um, I work evenings. I'm there Sunday through Thursday in the evenings, and I support youth who are dealing with substance use, um, who are having different relationships with it. So some are abusing it, some are using it, there's some are starting their use and just kind of helping those the youth figure out um, their relationship with substances and find a healthier relationship with it. Okay. And how did you first get involved with Covenant House? Like what brought you to Covenant House? Well, I've always wanted to work with youth. I've always wanted to work with youth that oftentimes are like not seen and are oftentimes forgotten. And I definitely think that is true for homeless youth. Um, And so when I came down here in New Orleans, I didn't quite know where I wanted to support. But when I was looking for my placements, Covenant House definitely was the place I wanted to work with and for. The youth here are amazing. Um, So I got here as an intern through Tulane. I stayed because I really enjoyed working with the young people at Covenant House and haven't left yet because I, I don't know if you can work in a better place than Covenant House with better young people. Okay. And you say you work with young people who um, may have substance issues. Um, So why are you so passionate about um, this topic and the outreach and support for these young people? I find, especially after doing this now, I think it's going on five years I've been working with our young people at Covenant House. When you get to work with them and speak with them, you find that a lot of them, their journey with substances started really young. I've had clients that was their first time using something was five. Um, I've had clients where their parents were encouraging them to use it or because their parents were addicts, they just had constant access to it. And so their stories start rather young with substances, and they've gotten really good at, like, hiding it and navigating it. And the fact that it starts so young, it's like let's also support them and catch them when they're young before they get to the point where it's like they're older and they now have kids or they're at a point to where – Resources are just maybe not as accessible, um, and so help them get to a better space and a healthier space now so they can have a longer life and a more successful life. Okay. 
And as a social worker, how do you encourage your clients to maintain a strong outlook? It's definitely different for each client. The best thing is just listen to the clients and get to know them. See what their goal is, what their drive is. Uh, Many of them have their own personal goal and drive um, to center themselves. What's their centering point? They have a lot of insight into themselves that they don't even realize. And so just listening to them and helping reflect back to them what their strengths are can really help them realize like, oh, I do have the skill set to do this. Or, oh, I do have this goal and I want to keep pushing forward. So when things are getting tough, they're like centering on those two things. But you only figure that out once you've gotten to talk to them and listen to them. And so it's really unique and different for each individual. Okay. And um, as my own question, I know uh, usually, um, especially being a mother, we talk a lot about mothers on this segment. Um, And usually when mothers are going through things like uh pregnancy for instance mm-hmm. and they come from the hospital a lot of things associated with substance abuse are usually right after they have mm-hmm. um their child do you ever see mothers like abusing the um sometimes it may be painkillers or anything to kind of cope with what's going on as a parent painkillers not so much with the young people that we're dealing with right now um i find that it's more marijuana that mm-hmm. our clients are engaging in um, and usually this use started before pregnancy um, and they maybe stopped it while they were pregnant because they knew that they were constantly getting checked on or they didn't want it to negatively affect their, you know, the baby. Um, and so they would stop while they were pregnant. And then the moment that they have, you know, their child, it's like, OK, I'm not breastfeeding or I'm not doing this. And so I can start using again and it's stressful. And so I need to numb myself or I need to find a distraction um, so marijuana is the most frequent substance that we're that I've found for our new mothers or mothers who have just given birth. Um, but something that is when we have conversations around it, mothers do sometimes start going towards like looking for other alternatives. Um, and so we have those conversations where I'm like, maybe let's not go to the other alternative. Have you spoken with your doctor yet? Mm-hmm. Like, have we had those conversations yet? And helping coach them through like what that conversation could look like to advocate for that need. Um but we haven't really seen, or I haven't really seen in my experience, too many um, concerns with painkillers. Okay. Uh, and I only say painkillers because I know, like, a lot of the times in hospitals, they mm-hmm. won't give you certain medications because of the assumption of substance abuse. Yes. Um, but um, have you recently uh, noticed for prenatal substances, abuse, has it been, like, rising or has it been lowering? And why do you feel like it may be either or? I think um, what I'm seeing more is mothers who are, while they're pregnant, are still using substances, um, specifically around marijuana. Prenatals, I haven't seen. We have a really strong program with our maternal pathways, with our doula, and with our case managers that are supporting them. And so with that team, that's wraparound services with our nurse, our clients are getting like prenatal care, and they're getting those services and those supports. And when they're really, like, buying into this team and that support, those mothers tend to have less substance dependence while they're pregnant. What I'm finding is our mothers who are, like, maybe new to Covenant House, and so they haven't gotten fully connected with our maternal pathways team, what they oftentimes are doing is they're not communicating with their doctors. They're not meeting, like, they're not making appointments as frequently as they should. And so they're finding alternatives to 
you know, navigate things. So it could be something recently that I've been seeing is TikTok, like going on TikTok and like mm-hmm. getting prenatal care from TikTok, um, <laughs> which is like pros and cons to that. Um, and so I'm seeing like alternative care with prenatal care of like I went to this like herb herbal shop and I'm getting these random herbs mm-hmm. and, you know, marijuana is legal. So marijuana shouldn't be a problem. And so I'm seeing more of that like alternative access mm-hmm. to our like newer clients who haven't gotten connected to our maternal pathways. Um, but our clients who are in maternal pathways have a much healthier like dynamic with like prenatal care and less substance use. Okay. And it's funny you say that because I do see that a lot too, especially around people who are usually like my age um, or even a little younger than me. Everything now is herbal and what's grown and I can Mm -hmm. get ginger for this and turmeric for that, which are not bad things. Those are healthy alternatives. But yeah, definitely um, people who use medicinal herbs Mm -hmm. as like a, a, guess a coping mechanism or even something to help quote-unquote heal mm-hmm. um and with that uh what are some of your favorite resources for substance use support in general or um well for maternal pathways i would say for mothers i think it's really important we have a psychiatrist that we work with um and she has like a medicate there's a website and i can't remember the name off the top of my head but it's specifically around pregnant women and the substances that they can and should be ingesting and substances that they should be hesitant about mm-hmm. um, because even legal prescribed substances are still substances. Right. Um, and so oftentimes we'll be a consult where we're looking at that, like what are the things that you're taking? What are the you know herbs that you're taking and what is the impact on you as a pregnant mother? Um, and one resource that I find really interesting is doing kind of like a guided imagery experience with clients where it's more so like, what do you hope to be true for you as a mother? Um, many clients who have a substance use history also have parents or guardians or family members that also dealt with substance use. And so they had an experience as a child and like being raised in a space where there was someone who was dealing with addiction or with substance use um, and substance abuse. And so we kind of do this like guided imagery pathway of like, think about when you were a child and how you experienced, what do you want to be true for your child when they get older? Mm -hmm. And how do you like, what about your actions right now are going to lead to that future for your child? And what about your actions now are going to like, you know, maybe lead to the outcomes that you experience as a child Um, and going through that just like exercise in those different ways. And there's different ways you can go about it has been really influential for many mothers Mm -hmm. to kind of go like, ooh. I've only been thinking about my substance use in relation to me. I haven't thought about it as a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that oftentimes can be a really good center point to help them then access the psychoeducation and those other things that come into it. And do you think that um, previous substance abuse for their clients have been more of like a convenience or like a trauma response? Because I know I heard you say, like, some of them grew up around it. So is it just like it's convenient to have it or get it? Or it's more like a, I went through something and it just so happens that I picked this habit up? I think it's both. I would say more so the trauma side of things. Um, I mean, one, our clients are dealing with being homeless and unhoused. So that's a trauma experience in and of itself. Right. Um, and so they're actively experiencing something traumatic. While also trying to be like a mother, which is something like terrifying and new and anxiety inducing. Um, And so like, yes, trauma is very much there. And many of them have a trauma history even before coming to us. It's why part of the reason why they're with us is because of that, you know, development there. Um, But also like the substances they're using are substances out of convenience. So clients who are dealing with substances like we have clients that do like heroin and are, you know, meth and cocaine, like they're more serious things than marijuana. 
many of them are like, it was access. When I lived somewhere else, I had really easy access to it. Like, I didn't have to pay for it. I could just pick it up off the ground and, like, I could use it. Right. Um, and so I do think that there is, like, a part of it being, like, convenience and access. And then there's also, like, it's the way that they've learned to cope and deal with things because it is, unfortunately, really effective for a very short period of time. Um, and so it's a quick, easy solution, but the long-term effects are can and are detrimental in many ways. Yeah. And what would be something that would surprise someone about your job that they may not know, aside from being a social worker and working with uh, clients who have substance issues? I think anyone in the field wouldn't be surprised by this, but I think people who are not, like, doing the work would be really surprised by this. Um, The harm reduction model, I think, is the most surprising thing about the work that we do. When a client enters my office, the first thing they always do is, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to do it. Don't make (laughs) me quit. And I go, like, that's not, like, that's not the goal of this. The goal of this is that you find ways to, like, deal with whatever you're going through that are healthier and that, like, we're reducing the harm that you're doing for yourself, your relationships, the environment, and those around you. And so I have clients, had one client that when they first came to me was using meth, and, like, that was their thing all the time, meth. Um, and we had worked together for about seven months, and by the end of it, like, they were smoking marijuana. I mean, they're still using substances, mm-hmm. but they weren't using meth. And their journey was, like, they went from meth, they went to pills, they went to, like, other, like, they just had jumped from substance to substance to substance. And while marijuana has consequences, I think we can all agree that marijuana's consequences are, like, less negative or overtly less negative than, like, meth or constantly taking pills and taking other things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, like, finding that, you know, process with clients, um, we, most people are used to this idea of abstinence, like, just zero tolerance. You just don't do it, and that's the only way for healing and health. Um and the newer models when you're in the work, it's harm reduction. You're doing what is best for the client and you're doing that in a safe way to where a client can like sustain that more long term rather than just like quitting and then relapsing two weeks later because they hadn't found any alternatives to right. be successful. And um, do you feel like um, at this point you've had like a great success rate with helping people with their substances or do you ever see clients kind of like I guess self-sabotaging themselves by constantly going back to using certain substances that they're familiar with I think one of the things that is true about substance use and substance abuse is that the journey is always going to be like up and down and so I had a client that we worked really well they had they were clean for about five months and then they relapsed and so I was talking to him the other day and it is a mother and she was talking about like I'm so embarrassed. I feel like such a failure. And for her, that was the longest time that she had been sober, like like clean. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, the longest time was like three weeks. And so I was like, we need to celebrate that you like were clean for months, like yeah. months and months and months. And you're going to stay clean for even longer this time. And you've already made it three weeks. And that is what's important. And so it's hard to measure this because like it'd be easy to be like, oh, it's amazing and successful. But with recovery, it's relapse is inevitable at times what's important is that the time between relapses is longer and longer and longer to where it's like I've been clean for eight years or it's like I've been clean for like 20 years um but it's constantly a journey especially if you're like chemically addicted um there is something that's always going to be there to draw you back to it and if you aren't always like vigilant it's easy to do that um So I don't know if I can say I've been successful or not or if there's been a lot of success, but I do think that there's clients that have had moments of, like, being clean and not using and, like, really feeling a lot of pride in that. 
And in that way, like, yes, that's success. Um, so, I mean, yes, I guess. Yeah, a win is a win. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when it has to do with a mom and a baby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And how can we better educate young families? Oh, that's a large question. Um, around substances, I think, one, there is a misconception around substances um, that, like, it only affects the individual mm-hmm. and it doesn't have a larger impact on the, those around them. And especially for young families and people who are becoming parents, mm-hmm. it really does impact the child that's in your home. Yeah. Um, I had a mother recently that was dealing with alcoholism and was like, I'm fine. Like, I wake up in the morning and I drink, like, you know, two drinks. And then I, like, at lunch I'm drinking more. And then at dinner I'm drinking more. And I was like, but your child's under your care this entire time. Like, what does that mean for you as a parent? Um, and it really took her a lot um, to just recognize that, like, while she feels like she's in a better place to raise her child, when you're under the influence, you're, like, not as alert. You're not as, like, paying attention. And that really is a detriment to your child. Um And so just, like, really helping them understand that, like, their relationship with whatever substance they have is impacting their relationship with their child and the development of their child. So just more education around, like, how does that relationship and how do those dynamics, you know, change over time? Yeah. And then I know we're talking about, like, actual substances, but um, I know there's a friend of mine um, and I usually tell them as well, like, you know, you're on your phone way too much. Do you feel like not just alcoholism or marijuana or heroin or anything like do you think that even things like that can be considered substances like that mm-hmm. are people because when you say in substances, it, like you said, it neglects whatever you have going on. You're neglecting your child. You're neglecting responsibilities. You can't mm-hmm. focus. So do you feel like that's also a form of like substance abuse? Um, I think it's definitely could be a form of like addiction or having an unhealthy Mm -hmm. relationship with something. Um, I always tell people nothing is bad in moderation. It's when we, you know, start using it excessively or in an unhealthy way where it's negatively impacting us. Um, And so like with cell phones, cell phones aren't necessarily bad. Like they're really useful. Like we can communicate with people. We can get access to help. We have access to the Internet. They can be very beneficial. But once we're like on our phone, and our kid, child is, like, coming up to us and, like, mom, mom, or dad, dad, I want to play with you. And you're, like, no, not now. I want to finish doing whatever I'm doing on my phone. Mm-hmm. It's now getting in the way of something. And so that's not healthy. Um, and so, yes, I would say that, like, that can be a form of, like, an addiction or an unhealthy relationship with something that is getting in the way of relationships. So to all our listeners um, at home, what's some good advice that you can give them um, if they're going through a someone who's dealing with substance abuse at home? I always ask my clients to check in with themselves. It always starts with just like a self-check-in for you to see like how you are feeling about your substance use um, or your cell phone use or whatever the thing is that's keeping you from your relationships in that moment. Check in with yourself and kind of go like, how do I feel about my use? How do those around me feel about my use? And my use has someone like been bugging me about like how much I'm using things. That's usually a really strong indicator. If someone in your life is telling you, you know, maybe you drink a little too much or maybe you smoke marijuana a little too much or maybe you're like shooting up a little too much or maybe you're on your phone too much. Um, that's a really, you know, big red flag of being like, uh, maybe this isn't that helpful. Um, if it's getting you to a point where it's like, you know, especially with your children, your children are going to make known, like make it known to you. 
Um, so in those moments, like once you realize, oh, this is a problem, I would suggest like with cell phones, maybe putting like a time limit on how you're using it. Like I only use my cell phone from like five to six and then like I don't check it. It's on new not dessert. Oh. It's on do not disturb um, and only emergency phone calls can come through. Um, if it's around like drinking, maybe don't keep alcohol in your house. Um, so you're less likely to use it while you're at home with your family. Um, if it's other substances, maybe think about like those in your community that aren't using those substances and maybe increasing your time around that community. Um, so you're less likely to use. Um, so just kind of finding what feels right for you. And then also identifying like why am I doing this thing? Like, what need is this meeting for me? Um, it could be like, a, I need to numb. There's just too much. I'm overwhelmed. It could be like, a, I'm not feeling enough joy in my life, and so this is giving me joy. It could be like, I just need to escape. Um, whatever that need is, and then see if there's another way to meet that need. So it could be like, I'm going to go for a walk. I could write. I could, like, go do something fun with my family. Whatever that is for you, it's different for each person. Right. And then for the person who may be dealing with someone who has the substance mm. abuse, what's a good uh, piece of advice for them as well? One thing that is oftentimes true when working with a client who is dealing with substance abuse or addiction is that as a person who's working with them, I'm also encouraging those around them, like their friends, their family, their parents, their brother, sister, whoever is most directly with them, they should be getting their own support. It's a lot. To support someone who's dealing with addiction or yep. substance use. And it takes a toll on you. And there's a lot of times where, like, you take on a role that you're maybe not comfortable with. And so it could be, like, the role where it's, like, you're the protector. You're the person who is, like, being a scapegoat or, like, whatever. You end up taking on a role and to kind of help allow this person to keep having this, you know, maladaptive way of coping. Um, and so if you're with someone who's dealing with addiction or substance abuse, I would suggest like getting help for yourself and finding ways to support yourself and also like maybe finding ways to help encourage the person in your life to also access those resources. All right. And then I just have one more question. This one is way less serious. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite memory um, that you have about because you work so closely with the youth at Covenant House New Orleans? Is there a favorite memory that comes to mind? Yes, I do um, have a memory that comes to mind. There there was a while ago that we had a volunteer that would come and volunteer with us. And so we started going off sites on Friday evenings as like a fun activity to just kind of like get off site of Covenant House. And we would go to the lakefront frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was one time when we went to lakefront, there was about seven of us. And um, we went and we were throwing the football around and we had a lot of fun. And then they were all like, we want to go get food. And so we went to... Um, Felipe's and five guys off of Carrollton and we had dinner there and they were like we want to finish with ice cream and so then we walked across the street to Baskin Robbins <laughs> and we ended up getting like Baskin Robbins um, and you know we were only supposed to be gone for like an hour and we ended up being gone for three hours and there was just a lot of laughter um, and even to this day this was like two years ago to this day those clients are still really close and none of them stay at Covenant House anymore um, and there's still just like that memory. Sometimes we laugh about it. And it was a really fun memory just having that afternoon and evening. Thank you so much, Hosanna, for coming and speaking with me on such a serious subject. And for more information about the work that Hosanna does at Covenant House or Covenant House, you can reach us at the website at covenanthousenola.org. That's all the time we have. Thank you all so much for tuning in and come back for another episode of Red Bean Baby. All right.